praise to the Lord and oh and Rebecca and Caleb you just about sang me out this morning I, I just wore my voice out praising the Lord it's a beautiful room today good to lay eyes on you catch my breath a little bit take inventory look beautiful happy Mother's Day it's a happy Mother's Day for me. My mom is here, and uh, Miss, uh, Miss Reba, I like saying her full name, Miss Reba Jean Bracken Sibley. And uh, y'all, um, I've got an older brother and a younger sister, and she's with me on Mother's Day. I win. Let's open our Bibles today to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We've been in a um, conversation about going and uh, thinking about that last week. We've talked about how we can get very fearful when we look at the future, but the answer is faith. It's believing and trusting in the Lord. We cry out to him, he fulfills his purpose for us. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful picture. Psalm 57, just verse 2. We cry out to God, he fulfills his purpose for us. Today I want to speak to you again about this idea of this journey of going relates to our church and the future and what God would have us thinking about the future as a church but in a very personal way I hope today that this message would be an encouragement to your heart in the journey that you're on and the direction that you're headed we are in a five-week stretch that is unlike any other time of year. And this five-week stretch that I'm talking about is not just this year, I mean every year, and it's the stretch of time on the calendar from Mother's Day to Father's Day. And there are some things that come with those days that make these days different than other days of the calendar. In those events that just carry their own stories, Mother's Day and Father's Day, a lot of, a lot of thinking, a lot of thoughts. I, I would imagine if time slows down a not, uh, enough that uh, Saturday nights before Mother's Day or Father's Day or Sunday nights at the close of Mother's Day or Father's Day, there's a lot of thoughts going on about just what that means and what that is and if we're getting it right if we're getting it wrong but around Mother's Day and Father's Day there's also a lot of other things going on and you know that this is the longest a lot of you have sat still all week um, these are days that are filled with uh, evaluations Days that are filled with celebrations, days that are filled with graduations. 
So many conversations that I've been a part of in the last few days, people are on their way to or on their way back from some kind of end of the year transition type time in their life where they're marking what's happened over the course of a year. Their awards programs, team championships, grade reports, test scores, celebration parties. Am I just reading my own calendar? Uh, y'all are with me. Um, and I, I just sit in those sometimes and I think about uh, winning and losing and recognition and promotion. And ask sometimes, should I be encouraged or should I be disheartened? Scott Carson and I sat Tuesday night with a longtime friend that we've shared. It had been a long time since we'd seen him, and we were catching up on a lot of things over dinner, and just all of a sudden, he leans across the table, and he says, guys, a lot of men feel like they need to win. Do you feel like you need to win? And, and I was just staring at him, and I, and I thought, well, that escalated fast <laughs> and um, he said if you do feel like you need to win how do you know if you're winning and before I could really have another thought he, he, he said and if you do need to win and if you're trying to figure out if you're winning or not what does winning look like for you and I looked at Scott and said, just take it away, Scott. <laughs> and um, that question played into the emotions of these days, the schedule of these days, even thinking about the life of our church. Are we winning? Are we losing? What does winning look like? How do we measure that? How do we think about that in our own personal lives? As a mom, you sit here today or... You're, you're a guy thinking about your, your next stop related to education or career. Uh, do, we, do we need to win? What does winning look like for us? And, and, and pretty fast, my heart and mind went to the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy specifically, and 2 Timothy chapter 4 even more specifically. When you come to 2 Timothy, you have the last letter written by the Apostle Paul. That's significant because he wrote at least 13 that we know of, possibly 14 if you consider Hebrews to be authored by the Apostle Paul. Maybe he wrote more. We, we do believe that he wrote more. It's just that these are the letters that have been preserved by God's sovereign hand and in what we call the Bible and and in these letters, we do know that 2 Timothy is the last one that we have. And the Apostle Paul had, had been a, a, a sharer of the gospel, a believer in the gospel, a minister of the gospel for more than 30 years. And, and here we have his last letter. And those who check the calendar and put a lot of different events together, believe that it's very likely this letter was written in the spring of the last year of his life. And just a few months later, in the summer, that the Apostle Paul would die because of his faith in Jesus Christ at the hands of Nero's persecution of Christians. 
And so just weeks, months, we have his last words. And you wonder about a guy that has lived for Jesus, has been at the very forefront of the gospel going forth and at the very beginning of the church and the spread of the gospel and the kingdom of Christ being announced and proclaimed and spread. And what strikes me here and that in these closing words is that the Apostle Paul knows that he's going to die soon. That's his belief. And there's this, there is this bold yet humble confidence nearing the end of his earthly life, listen, that he had won. That he had won. And weeks before his earthly death, he's writing in a way that he's saying, basically, I got it right. I got it right. I won. I did it. I'm ready to see Jesus. I'm headed home. And I read verses like that, and I don't know what happens in your heart, but I read verses like that, and I think if I have the awareness somehow, some way that I am approaching the end of life, how beautiful it would be to not be wondering if I'm winning or doubting if I'm winning or hoping that I'm winning, but to come to a point, if it's a year away or five years away or an hour away, that I would be living in a way where I would say, I won. I got it right. And look at how he writes about it. He says in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. He's writing to young Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So I read verses like that, and I think, how could the Apostle Paul be so confident that he had won? There is an unquestionable tone of celebration in this man's voice. There is an, undoubtedly a spirit of anticipation as death is approaching. 
the end of life for the Apostle Paul was going to be a coronation. He would be crowned. How do you get to that point? How do you get to that point? Where death is not a dread, death is not a doubt, death is the confident arrival of full union with Christ. Well, looking at his life, I'm searching for that this week, and it seems to me that the Apostle Paul had passed four tests. That's how, that's how he would know he was winning. And I offer these today, as I've wrestled through these, prayed over these, evaluated my life, wanting today, tomorrow, the next week, as long as the Lord would allow me to live, to these to be the four tests that I would pass. And number one is the test of, the test of leading, L-E-A-D-I-N-G. The Apostle Paul had passed the test of leading. Look in your Bibles in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul by Acts 20 is on his third missionary journey. He had spent time with the church at Ephesus prior to this. Chapter 20 tells us that he's not able on this journey to get back to Ephesus to see the believers there. But he wants to see them. Relationships for the Apostle Paul were so huge and such a great lesson to us to continue to value relationships day by day by day and not take lightly the relationships that God brings into our life. And here on this journey, trying to get to the next uh, destination of Jerusalem, he sends for the leaders of the church at Ephesus, and they meet in Miletus. And verse 17 of chapter 20 says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and then he, he writes kind of this biography with his relationship with the with the church at Ephesus and what he's about and what he had done with them and what was important and what mattered and you see what he was measuring in his relationship with them and his relationship with the Lord and listen to these verses it says and when they came to him he said to them you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, when I say that the Apostle Paul passed the test of leading, what comes to your mind when you hear the word leading? How, what do you think when we say he passed the test of leading? What do you think? It would look like to be, win, to be winning as a leader. 
in your own life. You aspire to be a leader in your home. You want to be a leader in your friend group. You want to be a leader on your team. You want to be a leader in this church. There's this compelling sense to be a leader here. How do you pass the test of leading? You see Paul passing the test of leading in verse 18 when he came to them and he began to speak and they gathered around him like they were in the presence of a leader and listened to his testimony. How I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. What, how do you, how do you pass the test of leading? We come to a point in our life where we recognize that what leading is, is serving. It's serving. And when you read these verses and the Apostle Paul stands before these leaders of Ephesus, he doesn't stand before them saying, I came to you, the important one, the in charge one, the one that told you what to do. He comes to them saying, I came serving, I came serving. I was willing to lay my life on the line so that you could hear the good news. I did not shrink back in the face of trials. I served. And it is such an important test for us to get right in our church, in our home, in our community. In our, in our community as a church that we call Watkinsville First Baptist Church. You know how we lead spiritually in our community? We lead spiritually in our community by serving our community. By, by having a testimony that if our church was removed from this area, this location... People would not miss our authority. People would miss our service. People would miss our putting others first. How do you lead in this church? By serving. How, how do you lead in your family? Not by staking your territory. Not by putting your name on the clicker. Listen, you, you don't claim your chair. You don't claim your spot. You, you, you don't argue for, this is Mine, this is, hey, serving, serving. That's how we lead. Paul chose us that he was willing to serve. And that's how they recognize him as leader. Jesus washes, washes the feet of the disciples in those last hours of his life on this earth. And he says, them you see what I've done do what I did no one is greater than their master leading is not about being high and mighty leading is about being low and humble and when we look at our life and we're trying to hey am I winning we know we're winning when we're leading by serving number two the apostle Paul passed the test of loving he passed the test of loving in Acts chapter 20 look at verse 24 he says but I do not 
account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God and now behold I know that none of you among who I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again and then he goes on and he talks about he warns them about threats to their life verse 36 wrapping up this time with them it says and when he had said these things he knelt down and he prayed with them all and there was much weeping on the part of all they embraced Paul and kissed him there's such a scene here of the believers at Ephesus loving Paul and the apostle Paul loving the believers at Ephesus you see a very emotional description here and pages of God's word there was weeping there was embracing there was kissing and verse 38 being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again no doubt Paul loved these people and those people loved Paul and why do you think why do you think that they knew the Apostle Paul loved them so much. How would they know that he loved them so much? Because he had been willing to die for them. He'd been willing to die for them. He said as much in these verses. He, he says, I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself. And the test of loving is whether or not we're willing to die for someone else. Love is not a feeling we get. Love is a death we die. First John tells us that this is how you know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. The picture we see this is given to us in the picture of marriage in Ephesians 5. You remember the command of the Apostle Paul to husbands? He says, husbands, what? What's the first word? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church who laid down his life for her. And the way that we pass the test of loving is being willing to die, sometimes die physically. Often it means just dying to self, dying to flesh to putting the concerns and the needs of others in front of ours. We do a little test on this day. It's probably not a hard test. If you had to think of today in this world, just in this everyday world, who would you say just immediately, um, without a doubt, loves you? In your life, where, where have you learned what love means? It's, uh, who, who loves you most? Mom. Man, when's it? We're graduation this week, and all this two hours of name calling, sitting there, just celebrating face after face after face, and, and the students coming through to get their degree they'd lean over in front of the camera and say something do some sign and I was sitting there and I and I saw this one student comes through and they leaned over in front of the camera and they said thanks dad 
You know that's a lie, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Just like every award show, every celebration, every draft. I mean, it's just, hey, thanks, Mom. And we, when we think about love, if we don't get to Jesus first, we get to Mom. We, say, oh, we know our mom. And why, do we, why would we say, I know my mom loves me. I know my mom loves me. Because there's a track record of mom over and over and over and over again putting herself behind me or us sacrificing so that we can have what we want or what we need you see love is not a feeling love is a is a death we die and the apostle paul had come to a point where he recognized in his life that he was leading by serving that he was loving by dying. In, in an episode of um, Band of Brothers, there's, there's one little clip. I haven't watched it all the way through, and just um, a lot of reasons for that, but just uh, there's one clip that I saw, and the guy's in the foxhole, and he's sweating profusely from nerves. He's scared to death. He's shaking. He's just paralyzed in fear and he's holding his gun and the bullets are firing all around him and bombs are landing and he just can't move because he's so paralyzed by fear and and there's this 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 moment where a commander comes to him and he says he looks at him he said here's what's wrong you think you're still alive he said, you think you're still alive. And until, you're, and until in, in your mind you die, you won't be able to live. There is, there is a, there's a, that story is what we find in Scripture. Sometimes we, we try to exercise so much of life. And we think we've got to put self out in front and watch out for number one. God would show us that's not winning. Winning is being willing to die to self. That's the way we love. Third test he passed was the test of living. He passed the test of leading. He passed the test of loving. He passed the test of living. Philippians chapter 1. Turning your Bibles there. Philippians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. I still say it. I just have to do it. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. You see the Apostle Paul measuring what life is. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He looks at all the trials and turmoil in his life and pain in his life, and he recognizes that what's happened in his life is that it's advancing the gospel verse 13 so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill. It's a, it's a very raw acknowledgement of the Apostle Paul being in prison and recognizing that there are people who are free men right now out 
preaching the gospel and proclaiming Christ and that a lot of them don't have the right motives. He says, but others, they're free and they're doing it with goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. You talk about a guy that was winning. He, he was able to just settle in with his security in Christ, knowing who he was in Christ, knowing that there were a lot of different motives out there going on, a lot of different reasons that he was experiencing what he was experiencing. He says, whether or not Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here it is, for to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. This was a guy that had recognized while he was still alive that dying would be gain. He has passed the test of living. And friends, we don't pass the test of living until we pass the test of believing that death's would be gain. Death is painful for us that are left here. But the one that discovers that Christ is life and that Christ is eternal life, death is the passageway, it's the gateway, it is the avenue for us to know and be with the one who made us and loves us even more than our moms. The test of leading is passed by serving. The test of loving is passed by dying to self. The test of living is passed by believing in Christ alone for our life. There must have been 300 men gathered last night in a dusty field just here south of Watkinsville, gathered there on the Tanner's farm and Coach Mark Rick sat there in front of us and shared the story, the journey he's on with Parkinson's disease and the story of his coaching career. And this isn't word for word, this is just me listening and remembering the impact of his words last night and he made a statement like this he says one day they'll make you stop coaching one day they'll make you stop working one day they'll make you stop and in my mind it was just filling the blank one day they'll make you stop teaching one day they'll make you stop selling one day they'll make you stop traveling one day you'll have to stop whatever it is that occupies your life here on this earth. 
Coach Rick says, but they can't make you stop believing in Christ. And they can't make you stop loving Christ. They can't make you stop identifying with Christ. It sounds a whole lot to me like for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's a fourth test that the Apostle Paul passed. And that was the test of leaving. The test of leaving. Have you noticed how many times in life by being obedient to Christ we have to learn to leave a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh leave the old things look ahead to the new things the apostle Paul came a time in his life where he left this old way of living as a Pharisee and persecuting the church and he took on a new belief, a new faith. His life was changed. He left an old way that he had trained for, that he was prepared for to be something new. You see the Apostle Paul leaving Jerusalem. You see him leaving Antioch. You see him leaving from one town to the next, from one town to the next, spreading the gospel. When he came to the church at Ephesus and the believers you see him leaving those believers of Ephesus to go on to Jerusalem leaving 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 one of the ways that we get paralyzed in our life and we stop winning is when we stop learning how to leave how do you leave leaving basically is obeying it's obeying God and sometimes we can love things of this world so much that we're unwilling to obey God when he tells us to leave those things alone. And we'll start losing. A lot of things we leave with tears. A lot of things we leave with concern or worry. The Apostle Paul writing here in 2 Timothy. Listen to how he was winning when it came to leaving. He's writing to young Timothy. And he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. You know what he was doing? He was letting himself let go of this world he was looking ahead to what God had for him in the future for the apostle Paul even while still alive here saw that that train coming it was like the old ship of Zion on the horizon just breaking forth the apostle Paul said I can see heaven from here When you look at life today, one of the things that may have you paralyzed and hung up and actually defeated is because God has told you to leave that alone, to leave that, to leave that. And the only way to break free from what you have been cleaving to is to obey God and learn the test of leaving. Remember Jesus Christ, he did what Philippians 2 tells us, that he left heaven. He left heaven. 
And he came to this earth. Hebrews 12 says he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And one of the ways we learn to win is that we're able to leave what we know. We, 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 we would be there and we think this is good, this is comfortable. But the only way that we will know the joy that God has in store for us is being willing by faith to leave and to obey what God is leading us to. I ask you today, are you winning? Let me ask you in this room today with me to, to answer these questions. Do I leave well? Do I leave well? In other words, am I obeying God? Do I lead well? Am I serving? Do I love well? Am I dying to self? Do I live well? Am I believing in Christ alone for my hope? Sometimes we don't know if we're winning or losing because we're not sure how to measure it. Sometimes we think we're winning when we are losing because we're measuring with the wrong thing. Have you ever been dumbfounded by realizing you're measuring with the wrong thing? Just a few days ago, I really thought I was doing 70 miles per hour. And I looked down at my speed gauge there, and I was doing like over 100 kilometers <laughs> somehow in the changing of the radio station I'd gotten my it switched from measuring miles per hour to measuring kilometers per hour I freaked out we can we can be measuring by the wrong measuring stick and I just ask you today to look at your life and if you're not leaving well leading well loving well or living well to repent say Lord I got it wrong I'm measuring by the wrong stuff and help me refocus on what really matters and then run run don't let the world set the measuring stick for you I want to close with this story and, and then I want to pray for us it's been several years ago a man by the name of Bill Broadhurst had a brain aneurysm and he was, he was paralyzed on part of his body. The right side of his brain began not to function right and so that meant the left side of his body was damaged. And, but he wanted to run. He wanted to keep running races. And he entered a race called the Pepsi Challenge. It was a 10K. And in that 10K, a little over six miles, he, he, he started with 1,200 runners. Bill Rogers, some of you would know him from the running world, won that race. He, Bill Rogers won the race in uh, just right at 29 minutes. Bill Broadhurst, he finished the race. It took him two hours and 29 minutes. And, and it, the story goes that in that run, while he was just trying to lift one foot in front of the other and let the other foot flop, 
that he was teased by children. He became numb. He experienced great pain. He had to avoid cars because they kind of ended the race, and yet he wasn't finished. And he eventually got to the finish line, and when he finished the line, two hours and 29 minutes, Bill Rogers, who had finished in 29 minutes, was still there two hours later, and he saw Roger Broadhurst coming across that finish line. And the story goes is that he took that gold medal off of his neck, and he went to Broadhurst, and he placed it around the neck of Bill Broadhurst and said, Broadhurst, you're the winner. Take the gold. And I read that story this week and I thought, you know what? I wanna I wanna I wanna cross the line winning for heaven. And I'm believing that if I can win the test of leaving and living and leading and loving in God's way, that I'll hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful son. Bow your heads with me. I'm gonna ask you in this room, if you would stand in just a moment, not everybody, just some of you, and you'd just say, Pastor, I'm gonna ask you to pray for me. I need to refocus. I, I don't really feel like I've been winning, but would you pray for me that I'd get it right and I could run winning? So I ask you to stand in this room right now. I'm gonna go back through that, just anybody in this room, Pastor. Pray for me. I want to refocus. I want to win. I want to get it right. I want to finish measuring the right stuff. Just stand right now. Heads bowed. Just me and you and the Lord. I'm going to give you about 10 more seconds to just be obedient to the Lord right now. Three, two, one. Anyone else? Stand. All right. Father, standing in this room from one side to the other are people saying to you they want to win. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that today you would put your finger on their heart and their life and show them where the focus needs to leave and where it needs to move to so that day by day by day there could be this sweet confidence that we see in the Apostle Paul's life that to live is Christ and to die is gain I pray Lord they would have this great confidence that they they are running the race they're fighting the fight and that they will finish winning Lord, I want to ask if there's anybody in this room today that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior. They'd call out to you today to be saved and start running your race that you have for their life.
Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Father, as we walk out of this room today, help us to measure right. Help us to serve, die to self. Our life be anchored in Christ alone. Looking forward to heaven. Faithful and effective here until we're finished with this leg of the race. In Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.